If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel 18. Actually, we'll start at the end of 17 as we begin our study then of the next chapter. If you've been with us, you know that we're now at a point in 1 Samuel where God has removed his blessing from King Saul. He has placed it on David. Uh, But at this point, uh, David has been relatively unknown. He's a a commoner. He's a shepherd boy. Uh, Saul was still the king, but things are beginning to transition now as David has defeated this giant from Gath. Uh, He has saved the people of Israel from what would have been slavery to the Philistine people. and, And now the people know his name. Now they are celebrating his name. And now Saul wants to know more about him and who he is. Uh, Saul had given a a pledge to whoever the warrior was that would defeat Goliath, that he would free that man's household from taxes, that he would give his daughter's hand in marriage to him. And so uh, now as these events have unfolded, uh, we find that he's wanting to know more about David. And what starts as a simple inquiry will soon turn to jealousy and anger and even attempts on David's life as we walk through this passage. And so we're going to begin with chapter 17, picking up there in verse 55, and out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read for us our passage for today. And this is what God's word says. As soon as Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. 
Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. You will pray with me. Father, as we just sang a moment ago, we do pray that you would speak to us. And we're thankful, Lord, that when we pray that, when we ask that, that you have spoken to us, that you have spoken through your holy word, that you have put your truth before us today. So help us now, Lord, in our unbelief to believe. Help us, Lord, in our sin to repent. Help us, Lord, in our selfishness and our inclination towards ourselves to think of others and to think of you. Help us, Lord, not to live for our will and our kingdom, but to live for yours as we consider the words you've put before us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I often think about a trip I took several years ago to West Africa. I've had a few opportunities to go there, but on this particular trip I was with Chris Coulter, and we were going around throughout uh, villages in that area, and uh, Chris would speak to them about farming, and then I would speak uh, from the scripture, because there's so many agricultural references there in the gospels, and we were using this as an opportunity to minister and to teach the gospel and to try to, to help out these farming communities. And I, I remember this one specific conversation. We were with uh, one of these farmers in the market, and he was uh, showing some seed to Chris, and they were having this conversation. And as I was trying to pick up on it and talking to the missionary there, he was explaining to me about one of the the problems that the farmers in West Africa have. And the, the problem is this, that they'll often go to a, a neighboring community, a neighboring town when there's a market there, they'll buy seed and then they'll go back and they'll labor and they'll toil and they'll plant the seed and they'll cultivate the ground only to find that when the seed starts to come up uh, that it's not what they thought they bought. Uh, that they had really bought bad seed. Uh, that this did not yield the, the crop they were hoping for, the crop they needed, that in some cases it was just completely worthless. If you're in West Africa, how do you know that you've gotten bad seed? Well, in this case, you know over time when you see the fruit that's yielded from that seed. And I think about that conversation often because I think there's such a picture there of our faith. How do we truly know the genuineness of our faith? How do we really know what it is we believe and others believe? We know these things, we can realize these things by looking at the fruit. As I've often said, as we see in the scripture, that the fruit reveals the root. The fruit reveals what's really there. And as we continue to walk through 1 Samuel together, there is fruit that is evident. There's fruit in the life of King Saul. There's 
fruit in the life of young David. There's even fruit we see here in the life of Jonathan. And as we're able to look at these fruits, we're able to discern what's going on in the hearts of these men. And sometimes it takes time to understand that. For example, when we consider Saul, the first king to reign over Israel, he started out pretty well. He started out, if you remember, during a time where he renewed the nation. There was a sense of national revival. The people were trusting in God together with Saul. They thought this was God's anointed leader. And at that point, God had certainly anointed him. And yet, over time, we see the fruit of Saul's heart. Over time, we see his lack of repentance. We see his disobedience to the Lord. We see God remove his spirit from him. And now, we see a man who's filled with jealousy and bitterness and anger. We compare that to what we see in young David. And we'll have much more to learn about David. But at this point in history, we see that David is one who over and over and over again, the scripture says, the Lord was with him. That the fruit of his life was he was one that was in a right relationship with God. And it's really the tale of these two kings. But then there's another in the picture, a presumptive king. There's Jonathan, the the son of Saul. the, The one that everyone then would have assumed would have been the next one to reign and take power. The one who had every reason to be threatened by David. And yet we see here in this passage the fruit of what's in his heart. As he shows love and kindness rather than bitterness and jealousy. As we walk through this passage today, I just want us to consider these fruits that we see in these men's lives. And as we do, I want us to stop and consider the fruit we see in our lives. I want us to think about what is it that our life today is exhibiting and what does that indicate about the condition of our heart this morning. So we'll begin with the first point there. In your outline, a reminder to us that jealousy, bitterness, and anger are not fruits of the Spirit. We begin here in our passage with Saul inquiring about whose son David is. Now, this could have been simple curiosity on the part of Saul. We've already talked about how uh, there would have been some familiarity between Saul and David because at this point, even before David comes to fight Goliath, David was a part of Saul's court. Uh, but that doesn't indicate that he, he would have had great knowledge of him or knowledge about his family. And at this point, he wants to know more. And that could have been he was just curious. It likely has to do with the pledge that Saul had made. Uh, that whoever was to take on Goliath and to meet his challenge and to defeat him, that that, that warrior, uh, his household would be freed from taxes, that, that he would have the hand of Saul's daughter in marriage. And so now David is evident. He's the one who's done this. He's fulfilled what Saul asked a warrior to do. And so I'm sure Saul at this point is, is a bit curious uh, about the family of his soon-to-be son-in-law. He's wanting to know just how many taxes he's not going to get now. Whose family is this that I've relieved of their tax burden? And so it makes sense to us that he want to know more about David and about his family. And so what starts out as this inquiry is we walk through the passage, we see then turns to some bitterness and some jealousy and some anger. 
And it's not because of whose David's family is. It's because of how the people respond to David. Now move down there to verse 6. We'll come back to the interaction with Jonathan in a moment. We see this jealousy come from Saul when the army is returning from battling the Philistines and when the women of the cities begin to sing out to the army and specifically what they sing to Saul and what they sing to David. Now, a number of years ago, I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, and, and just north of Wilmington is Jacksonville and Camp Lejeune. There's a military base there. And I remember during high school, that was during the time of the Gulf War, uh, we had Highway 17 that ran up through Wilmington. And I remember one day specifically uh, driving towards the coast and coming along Highway 17, there were people just lined up up and down the highway. And they were holding flags and they were holding signs because there was a military convoy that was moving between the port and Camp Lejeune. Uh, these were soldiers that were going off to fight in the Gulf War. And as they were going off to fight in this war, the people were lined up both sides of the highway and they were cheering them on. They were shouting to them. They were waving to them. They were thanking them for their service. There would be a familiar scene later on when these troops would return back from their time at war. Scenes like this repeat themselves all over our nation. We're a patriotic people, and that gives you just kind of a, a sense here of what was taking place among these Israelites. As the men were coming back from battle, they were being met by the cheers of the people, by the honor of the people, and, and foremost in front of them would have been King Saul. He was their leader. He was the one that the people said to God, we want a king who will go before us. We want a king who will go fight in battle for us. And now they're returning from this battle, but Saul wasn't the one who had done the fighting. It was young David. And so these women in these cities have recognized this and they're singing about this. And as they're singing, the scripture tells us, they sing, Saul has struck down thousands and David his ten thousands. And we don't know exactly what's going on in the mind of Saul at this point. We know the scripture tells us that he becomes very angry and that this displeased him. But I can't help but wonder if at that moment as he sees these women singing and as he sees them talking about David higher than him, if the words of the prophet, if the words of the priest, if the words of Samuel aren't playing back through his mind. You remember when Samuel came to him and he told him that God was removing his blessing from him. When he told him that he was going to anoint another, he said, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And now it seems the people know that David is better than Saul. And as he's watching them sing, I wonder if those words weren't playing out in his mind over and over again. A neighbor who is better than you. A neighbor who's better than you. A neighbor who's better than you. And then as he looks at David, as he realizes this is likely the one who will take the throne, he even says there, what, what else is there for him to have but the kingdom? Well, then that anger and that bitterness and that jealousy, it grows to the point that just soon after that, 
as he's being tormented again by this spirit, by this conviction from God, as he's seeking to, to, to aid that torment through the playing of music. And that's not taking it away at this point. We can see how these things are growing and festering in him. He picks up a spear, and the scripture tells us he throws it at David and tries to pin him to the wall. Literally, it means he was trying to kill him, not just once, but twice. And we're tempted to read that and think, well, that developed quickly. <laughs> you know, here they are singing songs about David, and now you're throwing spears at him. But it's not really quick when you understand what the Scripture says about our hearts. That, that bitterness and jealousy and anger, so, so quickly these things turn to actions. And at times those actions lead to murder. You look back to the beginning. You look back soon after the fall, you look back to the sons of Adam and Eve, and you have a picture there, don't you? With Cain and Abel, the scripture tells us in Genesis 4 that they both bring their offerings before the Lord, and for Cain's offering, the Lord did not have regard for Abel's, he did, and then Cain was jealous. And God's gracious to him. God warns him of what will come of his jealousy. He warns him of what will come of his anger. He, he calls him to repentance. He, he gives them the op, him the opportunity there. But what does Cain do? His anger, his jealousy, his bitterness quickly turns to murder and the shedding of blood. In Romans chapter 3, Paul was making the point clear that none is righteous, not even one. He's walking through passages from the Old Testament to give this clear argument that we are depraved, that we are born in sin, that, that all of us have sin, that none of us will be able to stand before a holy God and plead our case and say, look at how innocent I was, look at how perfect I was. And as he's walking through the script of what condemns us, Notice the connections there in Romans 3. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And the very next thing he says, their feet are swift to shed blood. From bitterness to the shedding of blood. From curses and jealousy to murder. That's how quickly we see these things put together in Scripture. Important for us to note here where all of this comes from, where this, this anger, this, this jealousy comes from. We're, we're quick to say this morning, I, I think, I assume that we would agree that, that murder is wrong, that murder is sin. But, but sometimes when issues of jealousy, of bitterness, even anger come up, we don't rightly look at those issues. And, and what's really the core thing here? Well, what's at the heart when those sins come about? Well, James points it out very vividly in James chapter 3. He says, Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic James looks at it and he calls it out right there and says, listen, if you, you have bitter jealousy in your heart, if you have selfish ambition in your heart, hey, you don't even need to go to murder and these other things. He says, if you have these things, understand where they come from. They are earthly, they are worldly, they are carnal, they are demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So James looks at these things and says, listen, these, these are fruits of a spirit, but they're not fruits of the spirit. That these are fruits of a spirit, a demonic one, a worldly one, a carnal one. They're, they're not fruits of the spirit. So what does that say to those of us who truly believe genuinely that we put our trust and our faith in Jesus and, and are seeking to walk with Jesus and yet at times we struggle with bitterness? What does that say about those of us who who carry the name of Jesus and are quick to say we, we trust in Christ, we believe in Christ, we want to walk with Christ, and yet at times we find ourselves jealous of another, angry at someone or at others. Does this mean that we're not genuinely saved? No, I don't think it means that at all. Because we're in a sanctifying process. We, we're not perfected at the moment of conversion. We are, we are trusting in a perfect Savior who, who is now working in us to conform us into His image. We are growing in this process. What it means then for us who struggle with these things is that we should be repentant of these things. That, that we should not excuse them or brush them off. That we should not point the finger at others and say, well, the, the, the reason I'm like this is because of this person or this thing. Or if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be this. Or if you wouldn't do this, then I wouldn't do this. No, in response to confrontation over these things evident in our life, these truths, we should be a repentant people. Are you repentant today, friend? As bitterness has become evident in your life, or are you repenting of that bitterness? Jealousy? Anger? Frustration? Or are you repenting of these things as God makes clear to you what is and is not sin? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 reminds us, let all bitterness, not some, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the core issue. If we are a people who have responded to the gospel, then we should be a people who live in response to the gospel. Well, we should love as we've been loved. We should forgive as we've been forgiving. And if that love and that forgiveness is not evident in our lives, if that repentance is not there and there's no fruit of it, then that brings to question whether we've truly, authentically ever responded to the gospel, to the love of God, and to the forgiveness that's offered through Christ. Which brings us to that next point there in your outline, point two. Love, kindness, and faithfulness are fruits of the Spirit. And we see the evidence here of what's not. It's the fruit of a Spirit, not the Spirit. And then we see what genuine fruit looks like. This love, this kindness, this faithfulness. And so far as we walk through 1 Samuel, we've seen a great contrast between Saul and David. But notice here at the beginning of chapter 18, the contrast really is between Saul and his son Jonathan. And that's where we see a, a great difference 
and how these men respond to David. And especially as David's popularity is on the rise, as the people are singing these songs to David, we see Saul's jealousy, and we might expect to see Jonathan's jealousy. I mean, after all, it's Jonathan's future that's at stake here. If David is to be the king, which at this point we don't have indication per se that Saul knows that other than he may have sensed that when he sees them singing to David. We don't know that Jonathan knows that, although later it will become clear and he'll pledge his allegiance to David. But at this point, there's certainly a threat. You know, Jonathan could have been jealous. For example, you think that David wasn't the only one who had taken on a Philistine. I mean, David went out and took on a Philistine. Jonathan went out and took on all the Philistines. There's that scene before in battle, much like the one we saw with Goliath, where the Israelites are on one side and the Philistines are on the other side, and there's the battlefield in the middle. And what happens? Jonathan, with his armor bearer, goes after the Philistines on his own. And he leads the people to victory. The scripture doesn't tell us anything about the women singing to him. They're coming back into town from this battle. It doesn't say anything about Jonathan's name. It says a lot about David's name. And so David, or Jonathan here is one who could have been very jealous. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have felt threatened. But notice his response. The scripture says his soul was knit to David. That they formed here a brotherhood. And in fact, it's this love that Jonathan shows for David. That's exactly what it is. He, he loves him like he's blood, like he's his brother. Now, he's going to be his brother. <laughs> Again, at this point, it's evident and clear that he's going to be brought into the family, that he's actually going to soon become uh, the brother-in-law of Jonathan. But I think there's more going on here. I think there's a a kindred spirit. There's a, the, the knitting of the soul that we see taking part. There's a covenant that these men make with one another. There's a faithfulness to that covenant. As time goes on, and as David is continually threatened by Saul, we see Jonathan is faithful to this covenant that he makes with David. And rather than being jealous, he shows him kindness. And there's even this picture here where Jonathan puts his robe on David. Now again, we're not sure at this point what Jonathan knows about what God has done and will do. Some believe that perhaps at this point Jonathan knows that David has been anointed king and so that this act of putting the robe on David is symbolically him saying, you're the one who deserves this. You're the one who's going to be royal. It could be that at this point this is part of this covenant that Jonathan is making with David but whatever it is there's there's a strong picture here we talked last week about how David is a picture of Jesus as he is the one who goes on behalf of the Israelites who stands in their place who defeats their enemy who rescues them from their slavery such a picture of what Christ does in the gospel but Jonathan's a picture here of Jesus too isn't he he takes one that is common, that is lowly, and he, he raises him up. And how does he do that? By lowering himself, by taking his robe off and putting it on David. That there's a picture there of the gospel. 
Because what the gospel says to us is that we've all sinned. Again, Romans 3, there's none righteous, not even one. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all are deserving of the, the wrath of God. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And you know what happens when we're saved? Jesus puts his robe on us. Jesus covers us in his righteousness. When we confess Christ as Lord, this great exchange happens where the robe of Christ is put on us and we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. That means when God sees us, He sees His Son. We're covered by the blood of Christ. We are washed by the blood of Christ. We wear the robe of Jesus. He takes our debt and our sin. He pays that penalty and He covers us with His righteousness. And how does the gospel tell us to do that? He, he lowered himself that he might raise us up. And that's a picture, I believe, that we see here. And that's, that's an evidence of what's going on here in, in Jonathan's life. The, the condition of his heart, far different from the condition of his father's heart. This love and kindness that he shows, this faithfulness that will be more and more evident. It's a fruit. And friends, the fruit reveals the root. And so what does the fruit of your life say about you today? We can gauge these things from the Scripture very easily as we walk through Galatians 5. I'll remind you again of what we read there. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So here's the contrast. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. As you hear that list, are there any of those that you recognize? Say, yeah, I'm struggling with that. I've been struggling with this. That This is a fruit in my life. And if there's no repentance there, then friends, hear this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If any of those are the consistent fruit of your life, if you're not repenting of those things, if you don't hear those things and immediately feel just this weight and this burden and this conviction and a desire to turn from them, be warned. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. I'll remind you again that 
that it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it is the fruit, singular fruit of the Spirit. Well, we can't look at that list and say, well, I'm pretty good at this one, not so good at this one. No, no, these things should be working their way through our lives. Are we perfect? No. We fall short? Absolutely. But the evidence, the, the fruit of genuine gospel conversion is we're moving farther away from one of those lists and a lot closer to the other. This is an evidence that God is at work in us. The fruit reveals the root. And so what does the fruit of your life say about you this morning? That's where we come to in this last point, number three. Are you being led by the flesh or led by the Spirit? Saul was clearly being led by the flesh at this point. Uh, He is angry and he is jealous He is bitter. He is hurling spears and seeking to kill David. He is angry over David's influence and his rise. And so notice what he does there in verse 13. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him the commander of a thousand. And so there's this picture here where David had risen among the ranks and he's overseeing all of the men going to war. And as Saul looks at this and as these words are haunting him, about a neighbor who's better than him, as this song is haunting him about how Saul has thousands and David has tens of thousands. There's almost a, a sense here when Saul says, I'll show you who has thousands. <laughs> hey, this is a demotion. And in fact, by putting him over a thousand in the, the category that this would have put David in, this is putting him on the front lines of battle. This is putting him in the most likely place to be killed in battle. Again, Saul's desire here is to be rid of David. But we're reminded again, if God is for us, who can be against us? And God is for David, and God is with David, and God protects David. And even in situations where David is at risk, time and time again, God preserves his life. To the point that the scripture tells us that that Saul is afraid. (laughs) As he sees this success, that there's this, this fear for all that comes upon him. As it becomes more and more evident, this is the one who God has anointed. And if God is for him, I and no one else can be against him. It's evident to us that, that Saul was clearly being led by the flesh. David, I believe at this point in his life, is being led by the Spirit again, over and over and over again. The Lord's protecting him. The Lord is with him. And even Jonathan. That the evidence we see there in his life as well. That, that fruit of love and kindness. And so friends, as you consider Saul and David and Jonathan today, as you consider the fruit in their life, consider the fruit in yours. What does it say about you? Your conversations, your comments, your social media posts. (laughs) What do those things say about your heart? Your attitude towards others, especially towards people who don't agree with you, don't believe like you, don't vote like you. What is your attitude, your actions, your conversations, your comments? What's it say about the condition of your heart? Is there jealousy, bitterness, anger, 
And if so, are you repentant? And if you're not, then friend, know that you have the opportunity today to repent. The good news of the gospel is still available for you and I. And that conviction, that that burden that we feel, we need not be like Saul, who under that conviction went deeper and further in his sin. We can repent and we can turn and we can trust today. The fruit reveals the root. What does the fruit of your life say about your heart today? Let's consider this as we go before God in prayer and as we respond to his word this morning. If you would pray with me. Father, we are not gathered in this place. We are not assembled together this morning because we are a perfect people. (laughs) But Lord, we do gather on this Lord's day because we are a people We are an assembly who are trusting in a perfect Christ. Jesus has indeed paid it all. And all to him we owe. So Father, if there is an attitude and action in my life, an attitude and action in the life of anyone here this morning that's not pleasing to you, if there is sin in my life, if there is sin in the lives of people here this morning that we are not repentant of, then I pray now in this moment that your spirit would lead us to repentance, that your spirit would empower us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, that we would turn from the works of the flesh, that we would stop offering excuses for them, and that we would trust fully and genuinely in Christ Jesus, that we would truly repent and turn while we have an opportunity to do so. And Father, if there's any here this morning who's yet to just place their trust in Jesus, who, who still is, is under the condemnation of your wrath, who, who hasn't put their faith in Jesus, who hasn't trusted in Jesus, who hasn't confessed Christ as Lord, then I pray that today would indeed be the date of salvation for them. And we ask that you would do this work through the power of your Spirit, and we ask it, In the name of Christ our King, amen. Church family and guests, if you would stand together as we come to this opportunity to respond, this invitation time where we we sing in response to God's word, we pray in response to God's word, we repent in response to God's word. And if God so leads, we invite you to come in response to his word. If, If today is the day for you to come and publicly Profess your faith in Christ before this assembly. We invite you to do that. To take that next step of believer's baptism. If today is the day the Lord is leading you to start the process of joining this church fellowship and starting that membership process. Or if you just need someone to pray with you and for you. Then we invite you to come as we lift our voices and sing.